0: It is July 18th, 2010. We are studying Tradition. Uh, this is Lesson 4, Kosher Certification, or Leviticus 11. This is the 7th of Av, so in uh, two days, uh, or a little more than 24 hours, we'll be uh, beginning our fast for Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av. So a little ironic that we are studying uh, what we may eat and what we may not eat. Let's begin with prayer. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave to us this Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. From Leviticus 11, 2-4, and verse 12. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whoever divides, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hoofs and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, it is unclean to you. Whatever is in the water that does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. Leviticus 112 2-4, and verse 12. And 1 Corinthians 10:25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, Asking no questions for conscience sake. We've been learning how to use a systematic approach in decisions about tradition. We've learned that it's important to know what the scriptures say literally and how to separate the traditional bias from the words that we read. As we have discovered, as we have discussed, we all have traditions and we all have a bias when we read the scriptures towards those traditions. It takes a discipline to be able to separate the words that we read from our traditions so that we can know what the scriptures actually say and what our traditions, how our traditions interpret those scriptures or maybe even add to those scriptures. And then lastly, how we can be uh, loving towards one another in community settings, understanding the difference between what we read and what we uh, think that we're weaving, and the traditions that we adopt from that. We've learned how to keep the, that how to keep the commandments is important, but not only for us as individuals, but also for us as families and for our community. Tradition questions are not just about individuals. They're not just for us alone. They're community questions, and they deserve to be solved in a community setting, in families and in larger communities, uh, communities made up of families. The issue with what we eat is intensely personal. It, it, and some people looking at it from the outside might consider it to be trivial. However, the moment that, they are, that what they eat is, uh, is uh, brought under suspicion, they become very defensive. Uh, you can see this time and again any time that uh, those of us that keep uh, what we consider to be a uh, kosher uh when we use that word today we're we're talking uh we're talking in a very broad sense as far as kosher not in the not in the uh kosher certifications necessarily but just in the in the sense of uh what is uh, what is food and what isn't food uh but when you were when you uh when you explain to uh someone for instance from a traditional christian background that you only eat kosher of course their response is well, that doesn't really matter. What we, what we eat it's not important. Uh, it's what comes out of our mouth, not what goes into our mouth that makes the man, or the woman, as it were. And yet, if you were to bring into question what they eat, um, of course, they would, they would become uh, highly defensive. And uh, what we see is that this issue of, of uh, food, um, although it may not be considered by others or considered to be important by others, uh, every time, it can be highly divisive if, if we do not uh, decide ahead of time the ground rules uh, of what we will eat or not eat in a, in a given community, and it's been my experience, uh, one of the one of the reasons why uh, I uh, decided early on to do this uh, study on tradition was this very issue of food and hearing an exchange uh, by by. Uh, numerous people with regard to what was, uh, what was property and what wasn't. Uh, it was really uh, remarkable to hear what people were talking about and to understand that what they were saying had no basis in Scripture. It wasn't that their traditions were valid. They certainly were. But what they were saying had no basis in Scripture. I've heard Messianics that mock those that separate meat and dairy and call them uh, uh, and describe what they're doing as being burdened by Pharisees and mocking them because of that. And on the other hand, I've also heard Messianics uh, mock others that they pretend to keep kosher simply because they remove the bacon from their cheeseburger at Burger King. Which both sides are judging their brothers on the basis of tradition and not the literal scripture. Both sides are being unloving in their approach. To food and what is food. This is why it's important that communities sit down and discuss and agree together uh, what traditions they will keep or not keep as a community. Uh, certainly, we're not, discuss- we're not talking about uh, what the clear instructions of Scripture are, those are not up for discussion. Those are up for uh, no words at all except, Yes, Lord, I will obey. There's some questions to ask from today's study. These were in the workbook. Does Hashem only care about what I eat privately or are there some things, are there some of these instructions for community meals? Is Leviticus 11 the minimum requirement for eating or is it the source for all our eating instructions? Can I rely on a kosher seal to know if something is okay to eat? Do I need to buy my meat only from a kosher butcher? You know, uh, these, these questions raise other questions, and, and coming from a traditional evangelical Christian background, it's been my experience that this food issue is divisive not only among Messianics, but also among traditional uh, traditional Christians as well. Uh, we have uh, people, especially uh, those of the more conservative wings, uh, conservative uh, bents uh, within evangelical Christianity that, that uh, following various... Uh, um, Ministries or organizations' suggestions, stop eating uh, chicken uh, that has uh, hormones or beef that has had hormones or milk that they say has hormones added and stop eating this or stop eating that, only eating vegetables, only eating, uh, only eating raw vegetables. Uh, all of these are, are, are obviously personal decisions that have no, have no uh, um, uh, mo- what I think to be a moral application at all. However, they do have a role in a community setting. It's ironic to me that uh, those that adhere to uh, various uh, uh, eating or diet requirements rarely consider what the effect of their eating habits have on other people. And yet, they can be divisive, even if it's not uh, an issue of whether something is uh, traditionally kosher or having a hexer seal or whatever else. Let's talk a little bit about the background of tradition. Uh, uh, the first and the arguably the most important commandment ever given to man was what to eat and what not to eat. And that was the command given in the garden. You may eat of all the trees, uh, which, by the way, would have included the tree of life, but you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For those who say, well, it doesn't really matter what I eat, I would simply offer that apparently it does. And uh, we can look to this uh, important decision and the decision to disobey God's commandment as uh, the beginning of all of our problems. We use the word kosher uh, a- as a description of, of uh, the things that are fit to eat, which comes from the... it's an Ashkenazi pronunciation for the, for the, uh, for the word kasher, what is fit or proper. Uh, uh, it doesn't... Uh, um, uh, there is a there is an ultimate meaning for kosher and that is that has that which has been cer- certified by rabbinical uh, authority etc however, we use the word kosher oftentimes simply to describe what is fit or what is proper to eat the, although that is not probably the most technically correct term it is an easy way to describe uh, what is proper or what is fit to eat here's some traditional questions that a heksher, that is a kosher certificate attempts to answer now uh most people in in the world uh on packaging have probably seen uh various kosher seals and maybe not un- understood that they were looking at a kosher seal uh circle Cake, circle u uh parev all of these are actually uh have have kosher certification in origin even if they're not being applied always in kosher uh in kosher applications but we so even if you don't see a Hexer seal, which is a, an official seal on, on, uh, on a package of food or uh, other things that are considered fit or not fit, uh, the traditional questions that the Hexer seal uh, is supposed to answer are, among them, is the meat from a clean animal? Kind of goes without saying that you wouldn't find a Hexer seal on, a, on, uh, on pork products. Was the animal disease-free, examining the lungs, livers, etc.? Was the animal slaughtered in the required way? That is, with with a specialized knife uh, and uh, bled in a specialized uh, manner, not using uh, 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 other means to to kill other than the knife. Were the sciatic nerve and the major veins and arteries removed? Are the meat products mixed with dairy products? Are dairy and meat ingredients kept strictly separate in food preparation and in consumption? Does the food have rennet enzyme or gelatin in it? Was the food prepared and packaged by non-Jews? Did the food preparers wash their hands in the prescribed way? Is the food from the land of Israel? And if so, was it harvested in accordance with the first fruits requirements and the Shemitah restrictions? These are some of the questions that a Hexer seal attempts to answer. Uh, There are different Hexer seals... uh, the last one, by the way, I, I failed to mention was, have the bugs been removed from produce? Not all communities accept all the others' hexer seals. There's different hexer seals depending on the community. Different rabbinic authorities. Some are more strict than others. Uh, but they attempt to answer questions such as these. Uh, ritual slaughter is called a Shekita. Shekita is based on Deuteronomy uh, 12, 21 through 24 and Genesis 32. Uh, 32. Deuteronomy 12, says, If the place where Hashem your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which Hashem has given you. Just as I have commanded you, you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires, just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Talking about people that are clean or unclean. may eat Alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. And Genesis 32:32, 32, 32, from the account of Jacob after he wrestled uh, with the uh, with the man, the uh, the angel, as it's described uh, by others. Uh, Genesis 32:32. 32, 32, Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched it. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. Uh, that, those are the basis for uh, the, the, uh, the scriptural basis for shechita law. It's performed by a licensed sh- shokhet, a licensed uh, ritual uh, um, slaughterer or butcher. Uh, ritual slaughter and butchering are aimed mainly at extracting the blood while the heart is still pumping and to minimize pain to the animal. Shehita is performed on mammals and birds, but not fish. Uh, fish are not considered uh, um, uh, meat in this sense. There's also an additional uh, requirement. We talked about the Hexer seal. says no dairy, no meat mixed. Uh, and uh, we would see that, uh, that uh, someone who describes this type of kosher would also not consume them. Uh, at the same time, this is derived uh, from Exodus 23:19, uh, Exodus 34:26, Deuteronomy 14:21b, uh, which reads: uh, Exodus 23:19 thir- says, "The first of the first fruits in your land you shall bring into the house of Hashem your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk." Exodus thirty four twenty six The first of the first fruits in your land you shall bring to the house of Hashem your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And Deuteronomy fourteen twenty one b says, You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Um, fish, as we said, is not considered meat uh, in this tradition, but birds are. Fowl is included in the idea of not mixing dairy and meat. Um, if you eat meat, there's required uh, lengthy time before you can eat dairy. Depending on the tradition, it could be six hours uh, or less. Uh, eating dairy, uh, a sh- much shorter period, uh, as little as, as an hour, wait before, before eating meat. Uh, and certain traditions require cleansing of the mouth uh, prior to eating meat. Now, food marked as parev, uh, which is Yiddish uh, for, n- for neutral, can be eaten with either dairy or meat. and You'll see that marking on, on a lot of packaging around the world. A Parev, a circle P, or the word Parev on packaging to uh, advise the uh, the customer that they can eat this with either a dairy meal or with a meat meal and not risk mixing dairy and meat. A lot of our uh, requirements re- uh, with regard to modern hecturing uh, comes from the Shulchan Aruch, uh, which is 16th century work, generally uh, a description of or re-describing of the laws uh, of Judaism. Uh, today's kosher rules also have a basis in the Mishnah as well. Uh, although sometimes the Mishnaic rules differentiate between scripture and tradition, and uh, also um, sometimes they actually contradict, the Mishnaic rules contradict some of the modern kosher rules. Uh, some of the Mishnaic rules uh, we included in the workbook, for instance, who may slaughter answers the question uh, the answer to the question is found in uh, uh, the Bavli, Shukhin uh, 2A, and in the Mishnah from that uh, folio says, Mishnah, all may slaughter, and their slaughtering is valid except a deaf, mute, an imbecile or a minor, lest they invalidate their slaughtering. And if any of these slaughtered while others were standing over them, their slaughtering is valid. Standing over them, their slaughtering is valid. Here's an example where licensing a shochet, although... It, it, it may be fine to license a, sh- a shochet. this it, the Mishnah would dis- would disagree with modern uh with modern uh rules regarding kosher uh and and hexuring uh saying that anyone other than a, a deaf or a mute or an imbecile or a minor uh, may slaughter what's the implement that can can be used to slaughter this again differs uh with with uh, modern rules saying uh this is in uh this is in uh Kulin 15b which says, If one slaughtered with the smoothness of a hand sickle, with a flint or with a reed, the slaughtering is valid. All may slaughter. At all times one may slaughter. With an implement one may slaughter, except the scythe, the saw, teeth, a, or a fingernail, since these strangle. Uh, and there we see a different disagreement actually with scripture where the fingernail is. is uh, is used or at least a description of scripture with the fingernails used in the slang, uh, in the slaughter of uh, or the, of, uh, of certain birds in the temple. How must it be slaughtered Mishnah eighteen a uh, if one slaughtered with a scythe moving it forward only that shemai declare the slaughtering invalid that Halil declare it valid if the teeth of the scythe were filed away, it is regarded as an ordinary knife. So we see a disagreement here in the Mishnah, records a disagreement between the two halves of Sake Judaism, Bet Shammai and Beit uh, Hillel. Um, another one in Khumin uh, 39b, uh, if a man slaughtered an animal as a sacrifice to mountains, hills, seas, rivers, or seas... rivers or deserts the slaughtering is invalid Uh, as we see in uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 we see a disagreement here between the Mishnah and the Apostolic Scriptures the Apostolic Scriptures saying don't ask where where an animal may be uh, have been uh, um, when you buy an animal if it may have been offered to idols don't ask Uh, what are the characteristics of clean birds and clean fish? The question that people ask is, how do I know that a turkey's kosher? It does the same thing in scripture. The description of how to, how to, how to, how, to, how to, uh, recognize a kosher, uh, fish, uh, or, a, and a, or a kosher mammal is very clear because we have not only a list of those kind of animals, we also have characteristics. For instance, uh, um, a mammal we talk about having a cloven or a split hoof and and choose the cud, and with regard to fish, we see or anything in the water, we see that if it has fins and scales, uh, then it 's considered to be uh, uh, fit to eat uh, we don 't see that with birds birds' we're simply we 're simply told you may eat clean birds, and then it lists birds that you may not eat. Uh, the l- birds that are y- you may not eat are not given as characteristics; we have no characteristics. the Mishnah attempts to answer that. In Chulin 59a, it says, Mishnah, the characteristics of cattle and wild animals are stated in the Torah. The characteristics of birds are not stated. But the sages have said, every bird that seizes its prey is unclean. Every bird that has an extra toe, a crop, and a gizzard that can be peeled is clean. Rabbi Elazar son of Rabbi Zadok, says, every bird that parts its toes is unclean. Of locusts, all that have four legs, four wings, leaping legs, and wings covering the greater part of the body are clean. Rabbi Yosi says, I, it must be, it must also bear the name locus of fish of fishes. All that have fins and scales are clean. Rabbi uh, Judah says there must be at least two scales and one fin. The scales are those thin discs which are attached to the fish. The fins are those wings by which it swims. Uh, you can see it doing a little bit of creative uh, creative analysis of the scriptures coming up with um, uh, to decide how birds, is a turkey kosher? And the sages say, yes, a turkey would be kosher because of that. How should an animal be butchered? Now, this is Hulim 89b, uh, Mishnah. The whole prohibition of the sciatic nerve is enforced both within the Holy Land and outside it. But during the existence of the temple and Uh, both during the existence of the temple and after it, in respect to both unconsecrated and consecrated animals. It also applies to cattle, to wild animals, to the right and left hip. But it does not apply to birds, because they have no spoon-shaped hip. And uh, also in Chulin 96a, Mishnah, when a person removes the sciatic nerve, he must remove all of it. Rabbi Judah says, only as much as necessary to fulfill the precept of removing it. Of course, Rabbi Rabbi, uh, Judah would probably be at odds with... uh, most of the texturing um, uh, uh, that goes on in the world today with regard to moving of the sciatic nerve. What about mixing meat and dairy? The, Hulene, uh, the Mishnah speaks of this also in Hulim 103b. says, Mishnah, every kind of flesh is forbidden to be cooked in milk except the flesh of fish and locusts and is also forbidden to place it upon the table. Flesh with cheese except the flesh of fish and locusts. This is where uh, you would find most uh, most uh, restaurants in the land of Israel that contain a uh, a uh, uh, a heksher uh, for 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 kosher would uh, would go along with this mishnah. Here's another one, Chulin 104a. If a person vowed to abstain from flesh, he may flesh he may partake of the flesh of fi- fish and of locusts. And then lastly, Chulin 113a. It is forbidden to cook the flesh of a clean animal in the milk of a clean animal or to derive any benefit therein. Let me pause for a moment there. When we talk about deriving any benefit, what they're talking about is actually getting something from it, including taste. Uh, so even if you were to spit it out, it would it would still be considered to be you have derived some benefit from it. There are other ways that are defined as deriving a benefit other than simply eating. It's not just eating it. So you're not allowed to cook. This is talking about not allowing to cook the flesh of a clean animal in the milk of a clean animal. Continuing. But it is permitted to cook the flesh of a clean animal in the milk of an unclean animal or the flesh of an unclean animal in the milk of a clean animal and to derive benefit therefrom. Rabbi Akiva says, wild animals and fowl, fowls are not included in the provision of the Torah, for it is written thrice, "Thou shalt not see the kid in its mother's milk." To exclude wild animals, fowls, and unclean animals, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yossi the Galilean says, it is written, "You shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself." And in the same verse, it is written, "Thou shalt not see the kid, a kid in its mother's milk." Therefore, whatever whatsoever is pro- prohibited under the law of uh, nebella, it is forbidden to cook in milk. Now it might be inferred that a fowl, since it is prohibited under the law of Nebella, is also forbidden to be cooked in milk. The verse therefore says, in its mother's milk. Thus a fowl is excluded since it has no mother's milk. Uh, Rabbi Yossi is being very logical here in the application of these three passages where it talks about specifically says that you should not cook a kid in its mother's milk. Uh, the kid is uh, is uh, we're going to see here in a little bit is uh, Gedi and it is a young goat or a lamb always one hundred percent of the time so it talks about three places it says a kid should not be cooked in its mother's milk Rabbi uh, Yosi is uh, here saying well obviously. Fowl do not have milk, so it's excluded. Actually, Rabbi Akiva agrees with that, and actually, and then goes on to say that wild animals aren't even included. Of course, uh, the Mishnah begins with the absurdity of saying uh, uh, that uh, it's permitted to cook uh, a clean animal in the milk of an unclean animal, and vice versa, that uh, an unclean animal in the milk of a clean animal would derive a benefit from. Of, of course, uh, we would we would recognize that the 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 uh, uh, lack of logic in that. However, having said that, the Talmud is always a book of extremes. Uh, arguing the extreme, the idea is if the extreme is true or false, then anything uh, is anything less extreme would also be true or false. So even though it's arguing this, it certainly was not the practice of cooking clean animals in unclean animals' milk. Nor was it the practice. Certainly not the practice of cooking. Unclean animals and clean out animals' milk. They're simply saying, if we read the scriptures, it doesn't say we can't do this, so we're taking the extreme. Of course, in this passage, Hullin one thirteen a, this folio, we see that there is a tra- there is a significant difference between the modern hexer uh, with regard to meat and dairy and the Mishnah itself. Um, the the idea that you know, and the difficulty when you, re- when you consider both meat, separating meat and dairy and also keeping a kosher kitchen. The idea seems a little bit extreme to some people, uh, a little bit, uh, maybe way too difficult, rather. Um, but it really does depend on where you live and what your community is. And, and as an example, those who have been in the land of Israel, spent a long time or significant time in the land of Israel living and, and, and working it's not all that difficult. Uh, it, it does depend on the community. If the community, if where you're living, and if your community practices such things, it's it's not a, it's not a considered a difficulty, um, and I would say not even the least difficult. Um, but in other parts of the world, of course, where where communities uh, uh, decide to keep these traditions, uh, they they would probably also uh, say that it is not a matter of difficulty, that it's uh, rather easy. Certainly. These days, all of these uh, all of these traditions are much easier to keep, just as life itself is easier in, in many respects, simply because the uh, increased uh, communication increased technologies, whatever else. What does scripture say about all this? Is there such a thing as biblical kosher? You know, I, I remember hearing uh, hearing uh, one messianic uh, um, ministry mocking people who use the term biblical kosher as if there is such a thing. And uh, certainly, we put the word kosher in, in 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 context here, saying the question is: Does the Bible tell us what we should eat or not should not eat? Does the Bible is the Bible alone sufficient for us to know what is fit to eat, without regard to how we how we treat one another in communities, without regard to um, how we uh should uh lovingly accept our brothers so that we don't offend them without regard to that we can say without question that the bible is sufficient to know what is food and what is not food there is such a thing as biblical kosher leviticus 11 is is uh is a perfect is is the perfect text for this leviticus 11 1 through 47 is Pretty much gives you everything you need to know about what you may or may not eat. And Hashem spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hoofs, and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud, or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, it does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. These you may eat, all that are in the water, whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that you do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing that which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you, and you shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the, whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, That shall be an abomination to you. And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, the falcon after its kind, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl, the white owl, and the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture, the stork and the heron after its kind, the hopi, and the bat, all flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, those which have jointed legs above their feet, which are able to leap on the earth. These may you may eat the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grass hap- grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot, but is not cloven-hoofed, nor, does, nor or does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Whoever touches it shall be unclean. And whoever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that goes on all fours, these are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Evening, it is unclean to you. These also shall be unclean among the creeping things that the creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is, in which any work is done, it must be put in water, and it shall be unclean until evening, then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls, you shall break, and whatever is this it is, shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean, and everything on which a part of any such carcass falls, shall be unclean. Whether it is an oven or a cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean, and shall be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern, in which there is plenty of water, shall be clean. But whatever touches any such car- carcass becomes unclean. And if a part of any such carcass falls on a planting seed, which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if any part of such a carcass falls in it, it becomes unclean to you. And if any animal which you... Which you may eat dies, who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening also. He also who carries such carcass shall wash its clothes and be unclean until evening. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination; it shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make for yourselves; you shall not make yourselves abomin- abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you defile them. I am Hashem your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Never, n- uh, neither shall you defy yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I, Hashem, I am Hashem who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the animals that may be eaten and the animals that may not be eaten. Beloved, Leviticus 11 has all the information you need to know with regard to what is fit to eat and what is not fit to eat. We also know that... uh, we have, a, we have instructions, specific instructions with regard to how food is prepared. Um, by the way, the, uh, the purpose of, uh, of these instructions of Leviticus 11 tells us in verse 46-47 through 47 says, This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and every creature that creeps in the earth, to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not, may not be eaten. This is your hexure seal. The purpose for this passage is to tell you what you may or what you may not eat. It teaches us about being able to distinguish between God's instructions and disobeying God's instructions. How do we distinguish between what may be eaten and what what may or may not be eaten? Is it a hexer seal or is it what God has said? How did Eve know what she was to eat or not eat? Did she hear it from Adam or did she hear it from Hashem himself? The answer, of course, is she heard it from Hashem himself. It wasn't second hand. She heard it. She could, she, she could decide for herself on the basis of what she heard God say, whether she would or would not obey that's what Leviticus 11 is about. We do know that there are additional instructions with how you prepare food. We talk about and how you slaughter it. Exodus 23:19 says, "Do not boil a young goat that is a bee, uh, which is always a young goat or a lamb in its mother's milk." Leviticus 7:26 says, "Do not eat any blood, either bird or mammal." Uh, Deuteronomy 12:16 says, "Do not eat any blood; pour it out like water." Deuteronomy 20, uh, 12, 21 through 25 talks about uh, um, whether we're allowed to uh, eat uh, sh- whether we're allowed to eat sheep or goats or cattle outside the temple. Now, obviously, one of the questions, God is very specific about what He says. You know, you bring your sheep, you bring your goats, everybody that comes to the tabernacle to, to, uh, to make an offering that is to eat it must be clean and you must bring it to only one place. That is where I place where I place my name. So with those specific instructions, he also makes this specific instruction and answers the question that follows. Well, am I not allowed to eat meat outside of the, temp- uh, the tabernacle of the temple? And the answer in Deuteronomy 12.21 says, If the place where Hashem your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock which Hashem has given you. Just as I have commanded, you may eat within your gates. As much as your heart desires, just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. That is talking about people. In other words, you didn't have to be in a clean state in order to eat meat, as you would if you went to the tabernacle itself. It does say that you may eat sheep, goats, cattle outside of the temple, or the tabernacle, but it says also that it's just as you eat the gazelle and the deer. question is, and I read this, and I read other places where it says this. How are game to be killed in slaughter? and slaughtered? Anybody that's familiar with uh, with uh, the laws of Shapita and, uh, and uh, ritual slaughter knows that it's uh, difficult, if not impossible, for you to have uh, what's considered kosher uh, venison or kosher. Um, uh, uh, game that you hunt, even if it's foul uh, there's not a whole lot of people that go out in uh, that are that are orthodox Jews go out hunting and eat the meat uh, because it's not considered to be fit to eat uh, and yet the scriptures here tell of uh, eating both the gazelle and the deer how are game to be killed and slaughtered. It does not uh, describe anything different, and in fact, it says that the goats. Uh, the sheep, the goats, and the cattle that you eat within your, within, your, uh, within your gates, you may eat just like you eat the gazelle and the deer. Deuteronomy 14:3 through 21 this is, the, uh, this is the companion passage to Leviticus 11. Uh, uh, so it is all-inclusive. Obviously, we, we see an additional thing in Deuteronomy 14 where it includes do not boil a kid in its mother's milk, which is a preparation issue. Uh, Deuteronomy 13.3 You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And and you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that that choose the cud among the animals, nevertheless... Of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat, such as these, the camel, the hare, the rock hyrax. For they chew the cud but do not have cloven hooves, they are unclean for you. Also the swine is unclean for you, because it has cloven hooves and yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh nor touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, you may eat all of the f- that have fins and scales, and whatever does not have fins and scales you shall not eat, it is unclean for you. All clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, the kite after its kind, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, the, s- the hawk after their kind, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates, that they may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreign, or you are, for you are holy, a holy people to Hashem your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. These are all of the instructions with regard to what you may or may not eat that are found in Scripture. From that we can derive a, two lists. What's permitted, what's not permitted. Go over these. What's permitted? From all of these passages we've read, animals with a divided hoof, a cloven hoof, and choose the cud. Ox, sheep, goat, deer, gazelle, roe deer, wild goat, mountain goat, antelope, mount, mountain sheep. All that, that are in the water that have both fins and scales. All clean birds. Flying insects that have joints above their feet. Locusts, crickets, grasshoppers. What's forbidden? anything that dies of itself, blood that's not drained, some of the fat around internal organs, and we get that actually from Leviticus. uh, uh, The early chapters of Leviticus where it describes the offering and what you may or may not eat. It talks about the fat around the internal organs and how those were only to be used in in, uh, offering up to Hashem. Those that chew the cud... But no cloven hoof. Those with cloven hoof but do not chew the cud. Camel, rock hyrax, rabbit, swine. All in the water that does not have fins and scales. Flying, eagles, the vulture, buzzard, kite, falcon, raven, ostrich, short-eared owl, seagull, hawk, little owl, fish, fisher owl, screech owl, white owl, jackdaw, carrion vulture, stork, heron, hoopie, uh, and bat. Flying insects on all fours. Animals with paws on all fours, creeping things: mole, mouse, large lizard, gecko, monitor lizard, sand reptiles, sand lizard, and chameleon. We also read anything that crawls on its belly. Here's the garden test. Go to Genesis two fifteen. Genesis two fifteen through seventeen says, "Then Hashem your God, and then then Hashem God, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden." tend and keep it and hashem god commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die what you may, you, may what may you eat every tree that would be including the tree of life except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what happened genesis 3 one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which Hashem God made and he said to the woman Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well first of all right away that's not what he said. Classic approach of the enemy is Has God truly said? Most believers uh, claim to want to obey God and what he said and yet many do not know what he said. Or they explain away what he said instead of saying all that God has said we will do. Continuing verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She was doing well till she got the nor shall you touch it. This is a common problem. We add to God's words And when we add to God's words, we lose credibility if we don't define what it is that we're adding. Here, she said, God said you may not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. There's no record that God ever said you shall not touch it. Uh, A similar problem comes in with unclean animals. People uh, uh, have the mistaken opinion that they can't touch an unclean animal. Of course, to do that would be that you couldn't ride a camel or a donkey. Uh, of course, you could touch unclean animals. The scripture describes touching of the carcass of an unclean animal, and it doesn 't say you may not. It says that if you do you 're unclean until you wash and in the evening uh, certainly there are there are many. Uh, times that you're going to need, especially in a rural, uh, in a rule setting or in a wilderness, where you're going to need to touch an unclean animal. The uh, an animal dies in the road and it needs to be cleaned up, buried, or whatever else. It may not be a clean animal. You may need to touch the carcass. That's fine. You'll just be unclean until evening, and uh, after washing, then you'll be clean. It would mean that you couldn't go into the tabernacle. Uh, these are these are issues of life. Uh, but applying or misapplying the instructions of God are sometimes as dangerous as simply ignoring His instructions. So here Eve says, we were told not to touch. She doesn't know what God has... Uh, she doesn't recognize the difference between what God has said and what she thought she heard. Then the serpent said, verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of Hashem God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Hashem God among the trees of the garden. Then Hashem God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to to be with me she gave me of the tree and I ate and Hashem God said to the woman what is this that you have done the woman said the serpent deceived me and I ate the garden test disobeying the simple literal instructions of Hashem is a sin it's the source and origin of all sin. Yes, it does matter what we eat. The issue of food is also brought, in, brought up in the apostolic scriptures. Uh, we included some scriptures in the, uh, in the workbook in the, from the apostolic scriptures. The first of, was in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, considering the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but one. For even if there were other so-called, there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, As there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Messiah Yeshua, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Verse 7. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled, but food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we worse but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak for if anyone sees that you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple and will and will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Messiah died but when thus sin but when you thus sin against the brethren the wound and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Messiah. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This passage is often brought up to people who who uh, who don't eat, uh, or do eat, rather, according to Leviticus chapter 11, uh, and they're saying, look, you can eat anything you want. This is not at all what this says. Paul, um, who says that he was always obedient to the Torah, and taught to be obedient to the Torah in Acts chapter twenty-eight certainly is not saying that. He's talking about food. As we read Leviticus eleven, if it's not on the list of what is permitted, it's not food. He's talking about what is permitted and yet has been offered to an idol. We saw in the Mishnah, of course, this is not permitted. That's not fit to eat if it was offered to idol. Paul's simply saying an idol is nothing. Whether it was offered an idol or not, we should we should we should remind people: the Torah never ever talks about or forbids eating something that was offered to an idol. Certainly, we are told that we should have nothing to do with idolatry. So this is an extrapolation that Paul's pulling in. He's saying, listen, if you don't know any better, or if it's inconsequential, if you yourself are not an idol worshiper, you can buy and eat anything that's fit to eat, anything that's food, and eat it with a clear conscience. However, thus doing, you may sin against a brother. It's better not to, not to buy or eat at, meat at all if you make a brother stumble. Then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 32. He, he adds to this, all things are lawful for me, but all all things are helpful. All things are lawful for for me, but not all things edify. Paul is not saying all things are lawful. Paul has gone to extraordinary measures in First Corinthians chapters one through six to tell us that all things are not lawful. He's certainly not saying that adultery is lawful. He's chastised them for the fact that they have sinned against each other sexually. He 's chastised them for accepting, a, accepting one of their members who is, has his father 's wife certainly God certainly Paul is not saying all things are lawful what 's he saying he 's saying all things that are lawful are I am at liberty to do, but not all things edify The key here is that he's saying even though Scripture permits something doesn't mean that you should do it. You need to consider your brother. Consider, uh, continuing verse 24, Let no one seek his own, but each one, the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, ask no, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the, earth's, for the earth is Hashem's and all of its fullness. If any of you do not believe... Any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go eat what is ever set before you asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you this was offered to idols do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you but for conscience sake. For the earth is Hashem's and it is and in its fullness conscience I say not your own but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks why why Am I evil spoken of the? Uh, am I evil spoken of the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jew or to the Greek, or to the assembly of God. And of course, then the classic uh, that we always receive uh, from uh, 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 people who are opposed uh, to eating according to Leviticus 23 is Romans 14. Verse verse 1 says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. It's going to go out and describe what we eat or don't eat, but we always must point this out. The dispute of Romans 14 is not a dispute over Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 12 of what is food and what isn't food. The dispute in Romans 14 is over doubtful things. Things that are Subject to judgment or question. Traditions is what Paul is speaking of. This is the very subject that we are talking about today in this lesson. Paul's talking about keeping traditions, uh, additions to the instructions of the Torah. Verse 2 For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. We have to point out here that the question is not e- eating uh, um, the weak person is eating only vegetables. Why only vegetables? Why? If it's talking about eating any meat at all, why is it he who's weak only eats kosher meat or something along those lines? Obviously, we're talking about something else. Uh, we're talking about a tradition. and the tradition is, of course, if you don't know where your meat came from, you're living in Rome. Right, you're living in a you're living in an urban setting in Rome. You don't know where your meat came from because you don't keep cattle in the in the city. You don't know where your meat came from, so oh, I can't trust it. It may have been offered idols. I can't trust it. It may it may it may have have uh, um, been touched or or uh, butchered by a Gentile. Verse three. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who eats judge. Him who eats? For God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he would made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So a lot of times this passage is used in various ways that are have completely no context or taken out of context. When it talks about he who eats. Should not despise he who does not eat, and vice versa. It's not talking about eating according to Leviticus 11. It's talking about eating according to a personal tradition that we should not judge another based on our tradition. God's word stands, and it's eternal. We read Leviticus chapter 12, or excuse me, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, that we're not we're not to eat the mouse. And yet, there in the end of Isaiah, speaking of the, of the uh, end of the age, when Messiah will reign, the clear instruction that it is an abomination, him who eats the mouse. Now, it may not be satisfying or, or uh, something that you want to do to eat a mouse, but the point is that God's instructions are eternal. What was wrong in Leviticus chapter 11 remains wrong for eternity. God has told us what food is and what is not. The discussion in Romans 11 is not about what is food. The discussion is about the adding tradition to what is food. I've also heard people quote from this and say, Who am I to judge another man's servant? We are to be fruit pickers as it were. We are to judge the standards that are not being met. God's standards. We are to speak against sin. Clearly, there's a way to do it that is gracious, there's a way to do it that's instructive, and there's a way to do it that's offensive. It is not that we are to be offensive or that we have license to offend simply because someone is sinning and we see it. That's not a debate. However, when this verse is taken out of context to deride those who have a standard that is biblical that is a lie and it is taking the scriptures and turning them on its head speaking clearly about what God has said is good and proper. We need to do it in love and we need to, do, and we need to be patient with people but it is not wrong for us to uphold the standard of Scripture in a way that others can see it and wonder about what a marvelous God who gives wise instructions to His people. Verse 8. Romans 14, verse 8. For if we leave, live, or we live to Hashem. And if we die, we die to Hashem. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are Hashem's. For to this end, Messiah died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment of Messiah. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God. Verse twelve, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or to cause our bro- to fall in our cause to fall in our brother 's way. I know and am convinced by Lord Yeshua that there is nothing unclean in itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean again we 're not talking about Leviticus eleven. <laughs> Paul is not in any way saying that he is convinced that there is nothing that every, every animal out there is clean to eat. It's utter nonsense. And if Paul was saying that, on the basis of Deuteronomy chapter 13, he was a false prophet. Paul's not saying that. What he's saying is he's saying, listen, uh, in specifics, what we know as the 18 measures, there's additional stringencies of what's clean and unclean. That's what that that's what the dispute that's the doubtful thing here He's saying nothing nothing that's normally permitted is unclean itself but if someone considers it to be unclean to him it is unclean Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food and you are no longer you no longer walking in love do not destroy with your food the one for whom messiah died therefore do not let your brother be spoken of Do not let your brother... uh, Verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Messiah in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make peace and the things which may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for men who eats with offence it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak if you have faith have it yourself before god happy is he who does not himself condemn himself in what he approves but he who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin talking about these additional strategies. Oh, I have to look and I have to look on the, uh, the carton and if there's not a extra seal, oh, I can't eat that. Not, knowing, er, not caring what it actually lists in there, but if it doesn't have the seal that says it's approved to eat or it's fit to eat, they won't eat it. And to eat it would be to hurt their conscience. These are the doubtful things that Paul's speaking about. Loving one another in a community setting is Paul's point in Romans chapter 14. To consider the one who has the more strict food traditions. As communities, when we, when we get together, when we eat, when we fellowship by eating, as we should, we need to consider everyone that's there. And whether we uh, simply gloss over their... Uh, their traditions, and by doing so, offend them. Let's go through the test of tradi- test tradition questions. The questions regarding how we keep kosher, or what we would uh, call uh, Leviticus 11, eating according to Leviticus 11, or Deuteronomy 12. Does this tradition, that is how we keep kosher, in helping keep one commandment, obscure a more important commandment? Does this tradition how we keep kosher, turn us away from the commandments? Does this tradition, that is how we keep kosher, deny Yeshua's Messiah? Does this tradition, that is how we keep kosher, cause division between Jew and Gentile? Does this tradition, or the rejecting of this tradition, that is how we keep kosher, make us distinct from greater Israel? And if you can say no to all these, lastly, does this tradition, how we keep kosher, unnecessarily burden us? Or in other words, are there other ways to keep the commandments in question? In summary, food is an important part of community. We need to live with each other in love. It means when it comes to food, each community has to work out in advance establishing traditions that are consistent with the biblical commands first and foremost and then take into account each other's uh, traditions. Careful not to offend a brother. We're going to all learn in this process. We're going to all learn in this process to be uh, always careful for our brother. Always considerate of our brother's opinions, traditions. This is a good thing. This is why Torah is meant to be lived in community. It's a good exercise. It's an exercise above and beyond simple, the simple matter of what should we eat. It's easy to read Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 12 and know what we should and should not eat. This is a problem presented us for our good. That we would learn... To be considerate and loving towards one another. What you should determine to eat should be first based upon scripture, not the presence of or the lack of a presence of a hexer seal. It's not to say that those who look for that are wrong in that. That's a tradition. We had to, we need to we need to be understanding of one another. But I appeal to my brothers and sisters that are always looking for that at the expense of fellowship with others. That they too need to learn how to be loving of others. I had an, ex- a- an experience one time at a Messianic conference. It was a conference grounds where uh, the food was being prepared according to Leviticus chapter 11 Deuteronomy chapter 12. Very careful not to serve uh, things that would be considered... Uh, to be uh, outside the bounds of what is uh, biblically permitted or what is biblically prohibited. And yet, great consternation that there were no hexer seals of the door of the cafeteria. Some in the, some in the, in the conference uh, were uh, not wanting to eat or not wanting to fellowship with others because there was no hex or seal on the door for the various foods that were being served. This is a problem for fellowship. And yes, we should all be very sensitive to one another's uh, various traditions. But it works both ways. And if you are separating yourself from eating with your brothers and sisters who are in good conscience reading Deuteronomy chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and complying with those direct instructions, who are you to judge your brother and not fellowship with him because he doesn't have a hexer seal on the door to his house? Deuteronomy 8.10 says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless Hashem your God for the good land which He has given you. Of course, this is uh, the reason for Hamazon, the first blessing. Uh, actually, all of the blessings Hamazon. The prayer focus for this week was the first blessing from Hamazon, which is, we bless you. Hashem our God, King of the whole world, who feeds the entire world in His goodness with love, kindness, and mercy. He gives food to all people because His kindness lasts forever. Because of His great goodness, we have never lacked food. May He never let us lack food. Why do we ask for this? So that we can praise His great name. Because He is the merciful God who feeds and supports everyone, and does good to everyone, and who prepares food for all His creatures that He has created. We bless you, Hashem, who feeds everyone. Amen. I that's from the Art Scroll, uh, b- uh, venture. Let's close in prayer. We thank you, O Adonai, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah. They arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil, we toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run, we run to the life of the world to come, they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Shalom Shalom.